There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value, and so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and wonderful to talk to you uh, again uh, this week and to chat to you about how to position yourself in your marketplace with my guest today, Mark Levy. Um, before I talk to Mark and introduce him, I'd like to say a big thank you to Lottie Hearn for sharing her many insights last week on being confident on camera. And it certainly got me thinking about the opportunity for video, you know, video via your phone and reaching people via your phone and, and video on website, how to do it, um, and really how to utilize it within my own business. And I know it has done for a number of people who are listening to the show. So do check that out. I try to not talk about current things too much on this show because people listen to it for years from the archive. But I've got to mention because today is a really strange landmark day here in the United Kingdom. With the public vote to leave the European Union and, and a few hours ago the announcement of the resignation of our Prime Minister. I know some of you who have been listening to this recording uh, today about, uh, you know, personal, uh, about personal sort of positioning but I think today in the United Kingdom, there is something very fundamental today about actually how do we position ourselves as a country? You know, how do we position ourselves in our markets so people actually want to invest in us? So it feels quite nicely related, really, to be talking with Mark today about positioning ourselves personally in our own marketplaces um, because that has you know, enormous um, relevance and value when it comes to um, generating um, you know, income and value from what you do and clarity around what you do. So how do you personally do this? How do you personally influence uh, your marketplace with your positioning? Now, my guest, Mark Levy, says that your marketplace position drives all your initiatives. It's your point of differentiation, your competitive advantage. It's why clients choose you instead of a firm that's bigger, faster, closer, and cheaper. So how do you pick the proper, the proper position, proposition and massively increase your fees and influence? Just as the UK now needs to attract foreign investment and influence the world and prove um, that it has a clear position in that marketplace. Mark Levy is the founder of Levy Innovation, LLC, a positioning firm that helps consultants and thought leaders increase their fees by up to 2,000%. His clients have included a former White House department head, CEOs of major organizations, a former head of strategy unit at Harvard Business School, a member of a major league baseball team, TED and TEDx speakers. Before uh, Levy Innovation, Mark was a chief marketing officer at an experiential branding organization where with clients such as Gap, Samsung, Time Warner, Harvard, and Stanford Universities. He's written for the New York Times. He's co-created or written five books, including Accidental Genius, using writing to generate your best ideas, insights, and content, which is translated into 10 languages. He created the O'Reilly Video Course, Influencing People Honestly, and he also creates magic tricks and shows with his work which has been performed in Carnegie Hall and Las Vegas and on major TV networks. He's a busy guy. A huge welcome to Mark Levy. Thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, uh, Mark. Mark, can, can we, before we sort of start talking about positioning, I, I mentioned at the end there about your magic. You know, how long have you been doing it and why uh, is it a part I've of what been, you do? Well, I'm 53 
I've been doing magic since I was four. So I've been doing magic for 49 years with some breaks in there. Wow. And where did that interest in magic come from? Uh, When I was four years old, my father took me to a delicatessen and the waiter did a magic trick for me with, uh, he made my initial, the uh, M from Mark, appear on my hand in pencil. (laughs) And uh, so uh, it, it really, you know, that kind of changed my life. So I, I always think it's important for people to think about uh, what it is they do, the impact it can have on other people, even though they think it's something very small, yeah. it can have a tremendous impact on people. So yeah, that's how magic started for me. And you t- just tell me a little bit about you know Carnegie Hall in Las Vegas. How come your magic is you know being featured at those kinds of you know massive locations and on the TV and you know, why, why are you doing positioning work as well? Oh, yeah. Well, um, the reason why they're there, I work a lot with a very famous magician, Steve Cullen, the millionaire's magician. And uh, have you ever seen his shows? No, I haven't, but I'm going to check him out. after. That. Yeah, yeah. So Steve gets shows and they play Carnegie Hall. So, you know, and they play Broadway. Uh, so <clears throat> forgive me for a second. Uh, okay. <clears throat> Pardon me. That's all right. Right. No, yeah, so, lots of pollen around at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Steve has played in New York City for 16 years. And so I help him create his shows. So that's why he plays there. Yeah, yeah. And that's why um, he's been on the, uh, uh, the History Channel and other places like that. Yeah. Mm. So where, where did this interest for marketing and positioning then come from? Um, I used to be in the book industry and I found that selling books was a lot like um, uh, selling businesses that you had to look at books and you had a spot why books were important, whether they should be sold or not right away. And so I just took that talent uh, to be able to tell why a book should be sold or not sold. And I just applied it to the world of business. So when I look at people's businesses, I actually look at their businesses as if they were books. So I'll look at their business and I'll say, what's the main idea here? What are the ancillary ideas? Are you leading with the right story? And, you know, what are all the subplots to what your business is? Mm -hmm. The same way it's with a book. Like if I was looking at your business, I'd say, what is Chris's main idea here? What are all the subordinate ideas? And now if we move these ideas around as if it was a book and we experimented leading with, with a new idea or putting together a couple of ideas that don't normally go together, now what story would that be telling? So this idea of, of, um, of books and uh, how, how books communicate ideas I just kind of transport that to almost anything I do, whether, you know, it doesn't matter what the project is or so, even if it's a show, if it's a magic trick or, you know, an illusion or someone's business, I just say, okay, this is a book. What's the main idea here? Should it be the main idea? How do we make it more exciting? And, and forget, forgive me while I take a drink. I apologize. Okay, don't worry. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm a little bit the same. I'm taking that opportunity myself. Um, so I think that's a really 
you know, really nice way to think about your business. And actually, when you and a business takes time to think about, doesn't it? And to plan and plan the chapters and think about the main idea and what sits at the the, the main crooks of it and the title. And with a book, it, it tend, books tend to take quite a lot of time to do them well. It's yeah, like, well, you know, it's the same, I guess, with with your business. You know, you really need to invest that time to do it well. Well, well, the thing is, most people have only started one or two or three or four businesses. They're not, they're not, you know, they don't have that many models to work from. But we've all read many, many books. Mm-hmm. And so we know if you pay attention to what books interest you and why they work, there's a lot of clues that you can apply in all other kinds of domains. And especially when it has to do with, with um, how, to, how a book or a business becomes differentiated or special, right? Like what's the thing that makes it warrant its place in the world, And that's actually a lesson before we were talking about magic. Pardon me. Uh, I need more water. Uh, Before we were talking about magic and, uh, uh, you know, about my background in magic when I was four. But when I was nine years old, that was when I really started to understand differentiation. And if I may uh, uh, tell a quick story about this. Yeah, Yeah, because this also influences uh, the work in business and Anyone listening, like this is, this is an important business lesson, even though it's about when I was nine years old. So when I was nine years old, I first started to love baseball. And uh, this was like 1971 or so. And in particular, I loved playing first base in baseball, right? That specific position, first base. And so my father bought me a first baseman's mitt. And every kid in the block knew, oh, Levy is going to play first base. Stay away from first base. That's his <laughs> position. And then I eventually wanted to play in Little League, right? I wanted to play in a formal league. I didn't want to just play in my neighborhood. So I went to the local Little League field. And there were about 20 of us kids there. And the, the coach of the team said, okay, I want you kids to run out to the position that you want to play on the field. Right. There's nine positions in American baseball and there were 20 of us. So we all ran out to the positions that we wanted to play. I ran out to first base. But unfortunately, there were five other kids. Pardon me. There were five other kids at first base. And so my nine year old mind, I just looked at these kids and I said, oh, my God, they're better than I am. I had never seen them play before, but I just like looking at them. I said, I know that they're better than I am. And so the. The manager said, okay, um, any position where there's multiple kids at, we're going to have to have a tryout to see who wins the position. So I just said, there's no way I'm going to compete with these kids. I was petrified. And the manager said, the only spot that no kid ran out to was the catcher. So we have kids for every position and we're going to have tryouts for the positions where there's multiple kids, but there's no one at catcher who wants to be catcher. And I found myself jogging over to the catcher's position and throwing down my first baseman's mitt and picking up the catcher's mitt. And the manager said, okay, Levy's going to be the catcher. (laughs) And... And really, the reason why I became catcher was out of cowardice, 
because, you know, I wanted to be a first baseman and I saw all these kids there and I said, I'm never going to be able to compete with them. And here's a spot that I win just by showing up. And it, if I ended the story there, it would just seem like it was a story about, uh, you know, about, about me being cowardly. But what I ended up doing was I ended up learning about how to be a catcher and how to practice which way to turn on a foul ball and how to block home plate if someone was running to home plate, how to throw out runners trying to steal. I learned all those things. And I eventually made the all-star team as a catcher. So this idea, so what I ended up doing was I didn't play first base, but I did the more important thing, which was to me play baseball. I really want to play baseball. And here I automatically was playing baseball because I picked a position that was unoccupied and I excelled in that position. So, right, I was doing exactly what it was I wanted. And that lesson I was very conscious of. And I just kind of started, that's really what positioning is about. It's like, what field are you in? What are the spots? What are the spots that are occupied? What's the spots that are unoccupied that you can still get what it is you want while doing something very important for the marketplace, right? Because in baseball, if there's no catcher, you can't play. The game can't go on. You have to have a catcher. Otherwise, you forfeit. If there's no catcher, you can't play. So here I was playing baseball and excelling and doing what it was I want. But I won just by showing up. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I think that's yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's a yeah. Great, great example. And actually, if you take, you take, that, uh, take that to a, a kind of bigger picture level, you know, what you did is you gave yourself the opportunity to play and you learned something new and you, you got yourself good at it and probably brought some of the other skills that you had from that other position, but without right. making that call, you wouldn't have, uh, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have been in the market. That's right. That's right. So this idea, you know, is to anyone who's trying to differentiate their business, you know, you, you can't just claim what other people are claiming. You kind of have to be in order for you to be, to stand out and to be sought out. You kind of have to be standing in your own spot like in a spot, you have to take the reason why someone should hire you, the best possible reason, and you kind of have to lead with that. You have to be in a category of one. And it doesn't mean that everyone's going to love that thing that you're leading with. It just means that you're giving yourself the best shot to be loved by a certain part of the marketplace. Um, It reminds me of uh, there's a, uh, there, uh, I read in a book once, um, pyro marketing, I think was the name of it. Uh, the author he talked about, he said, he said, I hate mushrooms. He said, mushrooms are cold and slimy and they're disgusting. He said, I will not eat mushrooms. He said, if you sell mushrooms, the way to sell more mushrooms is to not to try to sell your mushrooms to me. And you should also, in the hopes of selling mushrooms to me, you shouldn't take your mushrooms and try to make them less cold and less slimy and less disgusting and then pitch them to me because there's still mushrooms and I won't buy them. I hate mushrooms. I'm not going to eat them. Mm. So we said, what you need to do is to take your slimy 
like foul mushrooms and you need to find people who love mushrooms for their mushroomness. You know, that they love them for the very reasons that I hate them. And then you, you, you lead with those things, right? You don't try to be all things to all people. You find what it is that's really unique, important, and important about what it is you do and who you are. And that's what you lead with. And it won't appeal to everyone, but the people who love you for that will love it. There was a similar idea, <coughs> pardon me, a similar idea expressed by Jerry Garcia, right? The, the former, one of the former founders of the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Jerry Garcia said something like the Grateful, here's another food analogy for you. He said something like the Grateful Dead are like licorice. A lot of people hate licorice. But the people who love licorice really love licorice. (laughs) So you need to be licorice. You need to be mushrooms. You need to be a catcher. You need to be like whatever that thing. Sometimes people come to me and they say they want to be differentiated. But when we come up with something that's truly differentiated, like where they're all by themselves, they kind of get scared and it makes sense because now they're standing out. There's no such thing as standing out without coming across as different. You have to be different to stand out. Wonderful. Well, that takes us very nicely to the first commercial break. And uh, after the commercial break, we'll start looking at uh, positioning more and some of the benefits. And uh, we might even get uh, Mark to explain uh, why positioning himself on a sun lounger in his garden isn't actually a good idea. Because I find that story really quite fun. So we're back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific. Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. tuned into the business elevation show with your host chris cooper if you have a question or comment about our show please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk that's chris at chriscooper.co.uk now back to chris cooper hi it's chris cooper i'm with mark levy uh, mark I, I sort of alluded to something about about um, positioning yourself on a sun lounge which is a, bit, a little bit of fun uh, but it was something that I was found was quite uh, remarkable when you told me the story 
uh, of uh, where you live in New Jersey. Oh, yes. Um, I think when we first met and we first had a conversation on Skype, I was sitting out in my garden. You explained why it wasn't so easy for you. Do you want to share that with us? Because I think it's good. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Where I live in New Jersey, uh, uh, people who just land at Newark Airport, you know, it's a very urban area, metropolitan area with lots of buildings and things like that. They think New Jersey's all like office buildings and things of that nature. But actually, New Jersey is called the Garden State, and it's called the Garden State for a real reason, that we have lots of forests and things like this. So where I live, my house is kind of literally in a forest. So I, uh, like last year during the summer, five different times, I encountered bear while I was walking around. The other week, my wife was walking the dog and a coyote uh, attacked the, tried to attack the dog. So I, when I go out, if I'm sitting outside, I always have bear mace with me. I have bear spray in my pocket because I don't want to encounter any bear while I'm reading a book out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm imagining you're wandering around your forest like Grizzly Adams. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so let's get back on to, on to uh, positioning then. I mean, Sure. What, why do why do people come to you to really ask for help in this area? You know, for example, you meant, we mentioned earlier somebody like uh, you know a former White House department head, uh, you know a member of Major League Beast Baseball. What are they looking for when they're talking to you? Sure. Um, so I have two different types of uh, people who come to me. Some have already made it, right? So they they're already famous, and what they do <clears throat> is that they need a refresh. Because if your business is about what I call a big, sexy idea, if your business is about this important idea, that idea won't stay fresh forever, Mm. right? It may symbolize you and you may be able to talk about it and write about it for years. So it doesn't mean that it has a shelf life of two weeks. I don't mean it like that. But after a while, if people think that they know what it is you're going to tell them, they will turn away from you because they'll say, oh, yeah, I know what this is. Oh, yeah, this is that guy. I know what he's going to say. And then they'll turn away. So oftentimes people who've already made it, they come to me for a refresh. It's like I'm popular for this idea. I need something that's uh, – I need to, to go to the next iteration of that idea or something brand new or something. So they come to me for that. But then – the other type of person is that there are people, there are consultants who, and business people who write and speak about ideas for a living, but they haven't yet quite achieved the fame that they had hoped for. And what commonly happens, Chris, is that they tell me they're all over the place. This is something um, uh, that they can't stand out, that they're all over the place. And this is really funny and sad at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Because well, – Here's how they come to me. They, this, is, this is always what the conversation sounds like. <clears throat> they, start to, they start to tell me, um, uh, I've, I've done this, I've done X, I've done Y, I've done Z. Like they've accomplished things in all kinds of different fields. And then they apologize to me for it. They say, oh, yeah, I'm all over the place. Like I started this business and I succeeded here and I succeed in this. But they're in different they're in different areas. Like so they don't really go. What's wrong with me? I can, and I stop them and I say, you know what? In another time, you would have been considered a renaissance person. You would have been considered 
like the height of what civilization was supposed to be. As a matter of fact, the liberal education was started to try to make well-rounded citizens who could understand politics and art and mathematics and science so they weren't just focused on one thing, that they could be a great citizen by being well-rounded. So I said, do not apologize, do not apologize to me for being a fully actualized human being. Right? You have to understand where positioning and branding comes from. Over a hundred years ago, the concept was created to sell soap, that like it was a product. So people, different company, <clears throat> different companies had different soap. So one, they had to start making claims so that their soap stood out. So one would say, my soap is 99 and 44, 100% pure. And another would say, my soap can float in water. And another soap, you know, it would say, my soap's in liquid. Another soap would say, so they came up with all these ways of differentiation, differentiating because it was soap. But it was an object that was only had one function, right? Get it? It, it like like it yeah. was created to have one function. It's not like soap was made to clean your clothes and you weren't then supposed to eat it and the soap wasn't supposed to like then be used as gasoline or to drive your wagon or anything like that. Yeah. It was created for one thing. But now human beings because we all have our different jobs, we're starting businesses. What are there, nine billion people on earth? So there's no, soon there'll be nine billion businesses at some point. You know, like everyone's supposed to have their own business based on who they are. So now people are using these ideas that were created to sell soap, to create, to sell products. They're, they're, used, they, they're trying to use them to sell themselves and who they are. And so I always tell people it's unfortunate that my job exists, that I have to try to like take a person and make it seem like they're about one thing, but they need to come across as being about one really important thing. And then when people bring them in or become interested in that one thing, then they can bring all that other great stuff about them behind it, you know, to make the real magic happen, like in the gig. Right? Does that make sense? But if they led with all the stuff that they're about, no one would sit there and listen to it. I, I liken it, the analogy, uh, I liken it to is an ice cutter ship. Like, you know, those ice cutter ships that go to the Antarctic where they go to like, and so those ice cutter ships, they look different than the other ships behind them. They are made of a, pardon me, they're made of a different metal. They have a sharp, toothy, pointy front, the hull's in a different shape so that the ice will be expelled off the sides. And so the ice cutter has one function. It is to knock a, a pathway through the ice so the other ships behind it can get in and deliver. The other ships are what have the doctors on board and the food and the medicines and the scientific equipment and the personnel and all that stuff. All the reasons why you'd want to make the path are on the ships that are behind it. But if you led with those ships, the way they're built, they would break up on the ice. <clears throat> They'd never get through. So you need that icebreaker ship that's like the other ships, but it's not exactly like the other ships because it's really only as this one function, which is to break through the ice. So the ice is the marketplace's icy indifference to who you are and, who, and what it is you're bringing there. So you need to be about that one thing. So you can bring the other stuff behind you. 
sorry, I get very excited. Yeah, no, and that makes it makes <laughs> enormous sense. It's it, it's so important for people, isn't it? Because you know you can, and I've experienced it myself. I've been doing, <coughs> been you know, primarily on my own. Now there's a number of us, but but uh, for nine years, and you know, you find that there's a number of things that you can do well and you like doing, and then you start marketing those things. But actually, people kind of quite like to talk to somebody who's an expert about something. But then once they have that conversation and with you they, about that one thing, they then discover that actually there's lots of other things you could help them with. And because you've got the trust and you've got the respect, this they, they your work starts to expand to cover that as well. That's what I've... That's beautifully said. Right, right. You bring in those other things afterwards. I mean, we live... I mean, you know this. Everyone listening uh, 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 to this knows this, that we live in a snap judgment world. You know, that we walk down the street and we make snap judgments, you know, like boom judgments in it, like in with with only partial information. We make them really fast. We say that guy is fat and that woman is skinny and that guy looks brilliant and that woman looks like an idiot. And, you know, we know that we shouldn't be making these judgments, but we do. So the same, the same way we make these snap judgments, it's just how human beings are wired. People are making the same kind of snap judgments about you and your business. Like you can't fight City Hall. That's what it is they're doing. They're looking at your business and they're going, ah, this guy does this, you know, or that guy does that. Okay, got it. And that guy... You know, so you need to lead with your best idea, with your most unique, interesting, powerful idea, knowing that people are going to make snap judgments about it. But when you lead with your best thing, the reason most likely for you to be hired, at least they're making a snap judgment about the right thing. They may not hire you. They may not want to have a conversation or anything, but you're giving yourself the best shot to have a conversation. Yeah. Great. I love that. Some great... Um with your best idea um the most powerful thing i think that's really really helpful for people to to, to think about so yeah. we so we realize <clears throat> we realize that actually maybe we're doing a number of different things or we need a refresh and we come to you what are the kind of steps that you take with your clients just to help them to get their positioning sorted oh sure well uh i call myself the human inner ear infection <laughs> Uh, because what an inner ear infection, anyone who's had an inner ear infection knows this, that you become disoriented, right? It like gives you vertigo. You kind yeah. of get dizzy. Yeah. You can't, you, you're used to standing up and walking around and whatnot, and you can't do that. And so when I speak to clients, invariably they come to me, like the fact that they come to me, I know something is not working for them. You know, they may be successful, but there's something very important that's not working for them. So if they just keep going in a linear, logical way, they're going to be thinking the same thoughts and telling themselves the same stories and things like that over and over again. And as a matter of fact, those thoughts and those stories are probably pretty commoditized. I could probably find very similar ones if I just looked on the websites of other people in their field. So my job is to get them off balance. That's what I talk about being in, in a human inner ear infection. I ask them all kinds of questions <coughs> pardon me, about, about like 
surprises about like if I knew about your business, if I talked to you about your business, what are some surprises that I've learned that like just people would never expect about your business? What are some things about your business that are just so obvious that like, you know, I mean, they're stupidly simple. What's something obvious? And by the way, when you ask people about what's obvious, that almost is like its own fresh reframe. Because people start to talk to me about where they're located and how they do the work, but like they're apologetic. It's like, well, I mean, you want obvious, so here's how we, here's what I sell, here's why I sell this stuff. And invariably, when they start talking to me about what's obvious, they always start having epiphanies. They start talking, hmm, here's something interesting. You know, I'll give you an example of this just really quick. I was doing this once with an, <coughs> pardon me, with an audience. I was doing, I was speaking to a, an audience. And, uh, and um, when someone from the audience was telling me that they ran some technology retail establishment and they said, they, in talking about it, they came to an epiphany because they said, well, the obvious thing is that we have three owners. There's three people who own the business. And then he thought about it and he said, well, wait a minute. He said, do you know, we have other competitors in our area, but you know what? Our company is the, our retail store is the only one where there is an owner always on the premises. In all those other retail stores, they have them staffed by clerks and people like that. People who don't have skin in the game. People who are just there making some money and they'll work in the pizza store next. They don't care. You know, but in our store, there's people who have skin in the game. It's their money and their neck on the line. So I can now, and this is what the guy said to me, he said, I'm going to start publicizing that in our advertisements and stuff, that you're going to be satisfied coming in here because there's always someone who has ultimate decision-making power on site. <laughs> so, right, does that make sense, Chris? That would be an example of the types of questions that don't get people, it's not asking them, what do you do? You know, like, how do you do it? Like the same old ways. Like you've got to throw, in order to come up with something really interesting, you've got to throw people off their normal ways of thinking. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, so it's like, what's, what, tell me about your business. What's surprising? Tell me about it. What's obvious? Tell me what's the best advice that you've ever heard about doing what it is you do. Tell me what's the worst advice you've ever heard about what it is you do. Um, tell me some scenes that come to mind when, when you think about your business. Like even if you don't know why they come to mind, just like boom, like what's a scene that comes to mind? It can be external, internal with a client, whoever, just tell me. Because also the reason why I go to scenes, you know, I have a background as a writer. It's sometimes if we just kind of stay with intellectualizing things too much, we kind of stay stuck <clears throat> in a certain like way of being. So I try to get people to experience like these other intelligences they have, you know? So it's like, I don't care if you can explain it or not, Chris, just give me a scene, like the work you do, like just tell me a scene that comes to your mind, you know? And then we examine that, right? So that, that's how you come up with a truly differentiated spot. So, and if you, if you can't come up with something surprising, uh -huh. um, could you create something? I mean, does that does that come out of the conversation? There was um, I'm trying to think of the name of the bank now, but it's one of the 
a bank which is very successful over in the United States, which has something like a red red button or a phone, which in every branch where you can get straight through to the president if you're not happy. Um, you know, for me, that's quite surprising, and it, it actually, you know, shakes up the notion in the marketplace that these people are actually unapproachable, um, right. and and you know don't want to be bothered, uh, and stay. Afo- you know, would you would you help a client create something, or does it always does it usually exist? Oh yeah, no, that yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, um, it's it's kind of accidental positioning versus purposeful positioning. Mm. So when I'm working with someone, uh, uh, when I'm working with someone who they are predominantly their business, I try to tend to try to keep it organic, like based on surprises from their own life, and we do find them or so. But in order to amplify that stuff, sometimes you do have to create, right? So, for instance, uh, one executive coach I know, a very famous one, um, he gives, you don't have to pay him until the engagement's over, right? You work with him for a year and you don't have to pay him until the engagement's over. And by the way, you can then pay him whatever you think the engagement's worth. You can pay him the full fee. You can pay him partial fee. You can pay him more yep. if you want. You know, it's whatever. And like that would be something that that um, like that's created, right? Mm. You know, like that's something that 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 you know that you're not born with. So that that's something that's that's created in order to stand out. So yes, the idea, the problem, the reason why I'm hesitating is that sometimes when you have to create stuff. So I love doing that stuff, especially in my background as a magician, right? I have, I have this whole background in creating that kind of thing. But I want to make sure that what it is that we come up with is natural to who that business is or who that person is. I don't want them wearing clothes that are ill-fitting to who they are, Right? And so if we yeah. just come up with something that's really gimmicky that they can get by, that that will really differentiate them they now have to uh, uh, um, they have to live that so the real way to do it uh, and I hope I'm answering your question the real way to do it is to take something organic and then to amplify it so I remember once I was working with an architect firm and I said how uh, what's the common perception of the marketplace of architects? And they didn't do houses, they did businesses and things. And they said, oh, the common perception is that architects are unreliable, that we just that we just want to build monuments to our own artistic ideas yeah. and that we're not reliable, we don't call people back. You know, that's what how people, we're not that way, they said, but that's how people think about architects. And I said, okay, Let's come up with all these facts that show that you're reliable, right? Because we want to make you the reliable architect. So we came up things like they've been in business for over 20 years. In 20 years, they had done over 4,000 projects. Of the four, they had 214 repeat clients. On average, each repeat client hired them 16 times. They still had the first client they ever had when they opened their doors 20 years earlier, which was blah, 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 whoever it was. They have 24 people working for them. 
On average, the people were working for them for seven and a half years. They were voted by the state's uh, magazine as one of the top 10 places to work in the state. You know, so and so on and on. So there was all this fact, all these facts about how they were liable. But then I said, okay, now how do we amplify this idea of reliable? Like what stuff that you're not doing that you could be doing? Like maybe you put it in that you call all clients back within two hours. Like, and you mm. state that. Mm. And maybe you have this reliability test, this like 17 point reliability test for something or other. And you publish that, you give it to clients and you have your guarantees around that. Does that make sense? Are you like, you know, yeah. yeah all the stories you tell are around reliability. Like I remember this architect firm saying once, you know, that, that, um, that they said a prospect was thinking of hiring them, but for some legal matter, like the next morning, they had to have some document ready in order to sell some building and they didn't know the measurements of the building. So the guy from my architect firm in the middle of the night with the owner of the building went up on the roof with a laser and measured the dimensions of the building <clears throat> so that that morning they could have the accurate dimensions of the building in the contract. So that kind of story, right, when you say, oh, we're reliable, let me tell you, you know, 20 years, 4,000 clients, you convinced me. and let me tell you some stories about it, you know, how reliable we are, blah, blah, blah. And we have this 17-point process. We call people back within two hours. Does that make sense? So now you have this whole brand story going. Completely. It's incredible. We're going to go to commercial break now. After, after the break, we we'll, shall continue, and we'll have a look at one or two techniques that you utilize as well um, so we're we'll back again in just a couple of minutes voice america business network the bottom line in business Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You 
are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Mark Levy. We're talking about how to position yourself with your marketplace. And Mark, I know that you've got a number of different techniques that you utilize to help people to, you mentioned question, great questioning there, to help people get to their positions. And one thing you shared with me when we were planning the show was free writing. So what's free writing and how is it helpful and how do you do it? Oh, yeah. Um, free writing, I wrote a book called Accidental Genius, which is all about free writing. Free writing is my favorite of all productivity techniques. It's not necessarily just the positioning technique. It's a technique I use every day in order to solve business problems and write content and things. And so what free writing is, normally when people approach the page to write, they get all uptight they, because they're writing for other people to read, to see, right? So already that there's a little danger to that. Like, oh my God, <clears throat> pardon me, I'm going to be judged, all this Ooh. stuff. I'm going to have to be very coherent in what I write. I'm going to have to be very entertaining. I'm going to have to be interesting. I'm going to have to make sense, all that kind of stuff. That's not what free writing is about. Free writing means as in free from the normal rules of writing. So what it does is it helps you get to your very best thinking in a way that you could never have gotten to any other way. And trust me, I say this, like I'm not trying to sell anything here. Like I didn't invent free writing. People like Charles Darwin did free writing, like like W.B. Yeats, the poet, did free writing. So what it is, is you would open up uh, uh, for today, right? You would open up a Word doc and you would set a timer, let's say for 10 minutes. And I would ask you to think about a business problem you were trying to solve. Let's say what your positioning is, or you're having a problem with a team member or something like that. And then you hit go on your 10 minute timer and you just start writing about the problem from wherever it is that dawns on you to start writing. Like you can might begin, okay, so Mark told me I should start writing about this problem. I'm going to start writing about my positioning problem. Here's the problem with my positioning of my company. And meanwhile, you're writing this whole thing out. It's like you're taking what it is you're thinking as is, and you're just dropping it on the paper. You do not stop for any reason whatsoever in the 10 minutes, and you write a little faster than you normally do. Because as Ray Bradbury, the wonderful science fiction writer, wrote, Ray said, in quickness there is truth, that when you slow down, you tend to go back to your pre-digested, commoditized thoughts, and you just regurgitate what you already know. But when you do things faster than you normally do, you have to start reaching, and you kind of lie to yourself less. You start to get more honest, or you start putting... You start putting together ideas that normally don't go together. So you write for that 10 minutes without stopping and you allow your, yourself on the page to digress. You might be writing about your positioning problem and you find yourself suddenly thinking about and writing about where you're going to go this weekend. That's fine. Allow yourself to write about where you're going to go to this weekend, but just eventually get back to the business problem and maybe look at it in terms. It's like, okay, why did I die? digress like that. And meanwhile, you're writing this, you know, I'm, I'm 
pantomiming with my hands, typing as I'm doing this. It's so second nature to me. I'd say, okay, I started to think about I'm going into Manhattan tomorrow when I should have been writing about my position. Why did I do that? Let me take some guesses. And, you know, you're writing this. And at the if you do enough of these 10-minute bouts of free writing, you will come up with ideas you never had any other way. And you will think your way through problems. You'll come up with answers. And you'll come up with content for, for posts and books and speeches. It's using writing as discovery instead of writing as, like, the finishing touch right? You want to do, it's like what, what Robert Frost, the American poet said, Robert Frost said, no surprise for the writer, no surprise for the reader. So you want to sit there and you want to start writing as quickly as you can without knowing what you're going to be saying ahead of time. You want to start thinking onto the page about something where you need some new thinking about it. And you want to surprise yourself in the writing in it, in just following your thought wherever it goes, right? How quickly do you do that every day? Uh, I do it every day. Sometimes I do it daily uh, when I wake up, uh, but other times I'll do it, like let's say I have five projects today. I have to work with five different clients. I might do it five different times during the day for each person. You know, I might open up, uh, uh, and also, by the way, I'm talking about 10 minutes. Another way I do that, and again, to me, this is a miracle technique. This is just, you know, I, I, I came across this. Uh, a wonderful writer, Peter Elbow, had a series of books about this years ago. I've been doing this 20 years now. But another way I do it <clears throat> is I'll do free writing for 10 minutes, like one of these sessions. Then I'll stop. Then I'll look over the free write, and I'll say, what do I want to write about here next? Like, what do I want to develop more in what it is I wrote? Or what do I now know that's false? Or what do I now know that's true? I just come up with some new beginning thought. And now I do another 10 minutes on it, starting with that thought. I feel free to leave that thought if I want as I'm writing, but I start there. And at the end of 10 minutes, I stop again and I read over what I wrote again. And I say, okay, where do I want to go to next? And I'll do another 10 minutes. And at the end of it, like I'll do this for an hour or two. So I have a whole bunch of these 10 minute sessions within a couple of hours. And I underline interesting ideas and important prose. And I pull it out and I put it in its own document. And often I come up with people's positions or I solve problems just from like that two hours. It's like, oh, here's what their elevator speech should be. I said it here while I was experimenting, you know, um, and a real thing about free writing that I, that I love so much in accidental genius. I talk about coming up with a hundred ideas is easier than coming up with one. And it's because, and so free writing really facilitates this. If you try to come up with one idea, let's say for your position or your business or something, then that idea is a little too dear to you. Like it has to be really good because it's the only one. So instead of that, like if I had to come up with, a, with an elevator speech, I would quickly, I'd do a free writing session and I'd come up with 30 or 40 elevator speeches. And I just did this yesterday night. And, you know, it's like, oh, you want an elevator speech? Here's 40. And like, like 90% of them were really good. And it's because I, it's because I went to mass 
right? I, I went to so many, so the threshold for excellence was lower. So really good stuff came out. Whereas if I was trying to come up with something perfect right away, I'd still be sitting here trying to write one. Mm. Fantastic. So you, you, you've got them all, <clears throat> so we've only got a couple of minutes left now, yeah. um, but you've got them all <laughs> on your computer, um, but you say you take, you take chunks out of them, you take ideas out of them, um, put them into your actions lists and your strategy or, um, or, or files for book writing and blogs or... Oh, yeah. Uh, so you, you kind of tear them up. I, I, that's exactly right. I'll take these free writing sessions and divide them up and stick them into different documents, like one called positioning, one called ideas for blog posts, one called ideas for speeches, one called, you know, like all kinds of different things. So I kind of, um, right, I cut them up, as, as, you, as you put it. So now, weeks or months or years later, if I need an idea, I go into my files, and I just say, oh, right, you know, that idea about that kind of thing, right? So nothing goes to waste. Fantastic. Hey, we're actually at the end of the interview now, um, but I want to ask you before we finish, um, if you've got any final messages that you'd like to share or final message. Oh, yeah. Well, if, if people are interested in this way of looking at your business from a bunch of different angles, if they go to my website, my website's levyinnovation.com, levyinnovation.com, and the first thing you'll see there. Um, is this ebook that's for free. You don't have to uh, even leave your name to get it. It's a free download. It's called List Making as a Tool of Fault Leadership. So if you just open that up, you will see a lot of these ideas that I've been talking about that gets you to look at a problem that's been stumping you from like 10, 15, 20 different angles so that new ideas just pop up for you. Fantastic. That's great. Le- levyinnovation.com. And yes. you know, I, I would say that's probably one of the first times that people have offered something and they don't need to leave an email address. So that's, that's a point of difference as well. Right. Thank you very much. I like that. Thank I like you. that. That's, that's, um, that's great. Well, I've absolutely loved talking to you today. And I, I've taken some things from you. I mean, I love the, you know, the, the, all the things about leading with your best idea uh, and the importance of that. And I really get that. I love that story about your baseball and, you know, understanding why you need to have um, find that position where there's there's nobody else, and I think some of the things that you've shared around free writing that's that's something I've certainly taken away from this. That I will start to have a go with free writing in a you know in a sort of formal free way in terms of actually making it a part of what I do because I th- I do know when I've tried things like that before it's been invaluable, but just not stuck at it. So um, that's really helpful, I think. So. Thank you very much for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed it, Mark. Thank you so much. And, and thanks to everyone for listening. I'm grateful. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And um, I just want to also just say that uh, we, on next week's show, we have uh, a gentleman called uh, Peter Cook. Uh, Peter's going to talk about leading innovation, creativity, and enterprise. A fascinating character. He's involved with uh, science. Uh, as well. He was involved with the first treatments for HIV and AIDS and things like that. But he's also um, a a rock musician and has uh, lots of fascinating rock musician friends. He has something called the Academy of Rock. And he's uh, a prolific author, writer, leadership expert. So do join me next week with Peter Cook. Once again, a a great big thank you to Mark Levy. Uh, Do wish him well with all of those those bears and and, uh, wolves and things like that in his forest. So... uh, I'll speak to you all again next week.
We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.